0: The Gals Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast. Uh, glad to have you back with us. Uh, we have going to kind of skip our question section this time and skip our uh, training session this time. I have a special guest with me that I've had very, very fortunate to have him back down here with us at rifles only again. He's missed it for the last couple of years because he has a pretty impressive job. But at any rate, I'd like to welcome uh, Dr. Sean Hardy to the rifles only accuracy podcast. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. Thanks for being here. It's been a while. I know you came down this week to bring your son down. You've been threatening to bring him down and he's finally tall enough to where he can shoot. And we've been shooting with him for the last couple of days and he's doing Doing really really well so uh, thank you for bringing him it's nice to finally meet him oh I have been uh,
1: waiting to get him down here and yeah I've just been a little remiss with the hecticness of the last couple years but uh, I've been promising him a trip to rifles only to come see what this place is about and everybody for a while so oh, man it
0: turned out good we got him on that 90 degree trigger finger pretty easy so he he got that really <laughs> good he was smoking those moving targets today in alternate positions even alternate position mover so it was it was really nice to work with him what a great kid well, good, man. Thanks again for doing that. Well, listen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure, sure. Uh, so I'm, I currently work as a, both an
1: emergency physician and a uh, dive medicine physician down in Louisiana. Uh, I was Texas born and raised um, was a, a firefighter and a, and a rescue medic before that, and then went to med school. Uh, have a residency in emergency medicine, and I've been at uh, Charity Hospital, so the second oldest continuously operating hospital in America, okay. um, ever since 2002. Kind of cut my teeth there with Katrina. Mm-hmm. Was there for the storm and the, the things that happened in New Orleans. Then did a fellowship in diving medicine with my boss, who is a uh, world renowned expert in complicated diving cases. Okay, and uh, stuck around there with him to practice emergency medicine and diving medicine. Now I teach people in those two disciplines at our uh, training programs down there. And then in my off
0: time, I come see you. <laughs> right, nice. And what on the, on the dive program. Okay. What do you, what kind of problems you run into with that? Um, of All our right, is that just too big of a question? Oh, I we? mean, no, it's it
1: it it, it gets hairy. Uh, okay. So, um, I mean, similar to the Texas Gulf Coast, you know, the, of course, the oil and gas industry in the Gulf of Mexico is huge, mm-hmm. and the way to go get it is to oftentimes send people in hard hats and, and right. long umbilicals down there to go and get it. And right. these guys are they're diving, but they're underwater construction workers. They have a task right. to do, and things go south, yep. and so when they do, um, they need people who can help to treat them, and it may be trauma underwater that then makes it so that they can't get up on time or just something happened that they end up with the bins or other types of trauma. And that's a pretty specialized field. And so we run a group of people who will fly out on a helicopter to the rig and sit and, you know, bring somebody out of a decompression chamber, um, for, you know, two or three days if needed right. on these, uh, slow profiles. So we, you know, lock into a eight foot long by four foot wide metal container with another sweaty dude for three days
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and try
1: okay. to try to bring him up from the bowels of the earth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know that's pretty crazy. I've seen some of the equipment. I've got a a friend of mine that is doing that now. And he said he just spent, I think it was six or $8,000 of his own money on just a helmet. Super light. Yeah. Yeah. They
1: buy their own when they're in dive school. Yeah, So uh,
0: yeah, it's not a small investment. No, it's uh, not. It's theirs. But the payoff is pretty good from what I understand. I understand they make, they make decent money.
1: Um, so and not having been a commercial diver myself with a caveat I will say though it's the the guys that live in what's called saturation when you live at pressure they dangle sat money in front of you yeah um, your average working diver is not making what the sat divers do so the okay. guys who live at pressure for two weeks at a time three weeks at a time doing the deep jobs yep. they make really good money yeah um, but you have to survive in the field and, and work up the chain for yeah. that and, and you know, not get injured so it's a it's, it's a it's a hazardous job and my my boss that taught me has You know, been, we're doing that work in the Gulf of Mexico for 30 years plus. Mm
0: -hmm. So. Um, well, good, man. Well, thanks. Well, uh, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, being an emergency room doctor in the town of New Orleans, <laughs> I know everybody thinks that, uh, in, you know, this is going to eventually come to here because I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a, I don't know what you want to say it. I'm, I'm real concerned about firearm safety. It seems
1: I, like I've heard that come yeah, out of your mouth before. Yeah,
0: so I think that might be the understatement of the year. <laughs> I mean, it is the, it is the deal after being at rifles only for over 20 years and, you know, not to have any firearms accidents out here. I think that has a lot to do with my vigilance and maybe I'm, just a little bit of a safety asshole sometimes, but it's working. So I think I'm going to keep it that way. But um, I know that I don't know what the numbers were. You know, I have a degree in criminology, and I know that one of the things they always said was Chicago gets all of the. All of the fame and fortune for all of the gunshots that they have, but first it's Baltimore, then it's New Orleans, then it's Chicago, and we're talking about per capita people and getting shot. So uh, I kind of want to get into that a little bit. About on monthly average, how many gunshot wounds do you see come through your hospital? through the hospital. I mean, we, we average several per day. Okay.
1: Um, and it varies, you know, it's, it's very hit or miss. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't pulled our numbers. I haven't run in that committee for a while, but, um, it is unusual. Let's just say if I work a 12 hour shift on Mm -hmm. any given day of the week, it is unusual. If I don't see one coming on my shift, I go home and go, wow. Okay. I didn't, we didn't really have a, a nasty GSW today. Okay. Um, so, you know, multiply that two to three shifts a day, depending on if you're age or 12, 365 days a year. And some days we see eight yeah. in a shift. Um, other days, maybe maybe not. Maybe, you know, one or two.
0: Um, you think we, it's a little bit worse during those periods of high activity in New Orleans, such as Mardi Gras and things like that?
1: It often is. Although some days it's a random Thursday and yeah. people are angry. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of retribution stuff down there as well. But um, I always laugh that when there's something better for the people of New Orleans to do, they people kind of chill out and it's a decent thing. You know, the shooting stopped for the Saints game. Yeah. Um you know, right. when People between the between church and the saints game, there's going to be some stuff that goes on after the saints game when, after the final countdown is done, then the, you know, the, the mischief will often pick up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it's been interesting over 20 years, kind of looking at the trends, but
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, what is, what is the, what is the typical thing that you see? Is this uh, someone shooting someone else, someone shooting themselves, both? Uh, what are you seeing? Vast majority is someone shooting something else. So okay. I mean, we,
1: Nuance has its fair share of crime, obviously mm-hmm. um, with the, the minority being self-inflicted. Okay. Um, you do see some where someone was quite possibly involved in the act of shooting something else. Mm-hmm. Someone else, excuse me. And... You know, lack of proper trigger discipline and uh, following the rules of firearm safety results in them taking one in the thigh or the groin or something else.
0: Right, right, right. Well, I remember a long time ago, Clint Smith told me he was talking about the four firearm safety rules. Not really, I mean, really good idea whenever you're training, but a really good idea in a gunfight as well. So, uh, <laughs> kind of keeps the wrong person from getting shot. Yeah, if you do the other guy's job for him, uh, you've right,
1: just really made his life a lot easier.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I I get that, I get that quite a bit. So let's let's before we get into any of that other let's let's look at the self-inflicted ones okay um, where what is this is this coming out of a holster is it is it just a, a gun that I, I know you've you've talked to me about this before it says I thought it was unloaded I thought it was unloaded
1: and we right and, and very similar to again the safety briefs that you've given forever that that's usually and I hear that out of, of a vast majority of people's mouths mm-hmm. with it just went off yeah um, it, it just went off. Yeah, um, and it followed what, immediately by, I didn't know it was loaded. Um, right. common one is I was clean. Yeah, I went to clean it. Yeah. Um, and it went off or I was taking it into or out of a waistband, into or out of a pocket. Right. Um, and then round goes off.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, I get that. I, I get that. And it says, what's that, what's that first firearm roll? <laughs> you know, what, what's that, what's that one? All guns are always loaded. All right. Well, cool, man. Well, awesome. Um, concerning different types of weapons that are on the street in New Orleans. Okay. So you're going to have, uh, I, I mean, I guess everything from, from knives, uh, to, you know, baseball bats, you know, blunt force, mm-hmm. uh, and then of course going into guns. But let's talk about the difference. I always talk about it in my safety meeting, uh, before we even get into the safety rules, I say rifles are the most destructive of all small arms. Pay attention to what you're doing at all times. And I'll ask the question, why are rifles more destructive? And it always comes down to that one word velocity. Um, I know that you're a hunter as well, like I am. And yep. so you've, you've had a chance to see that. Uh, I, I guess what you can say is that the animals that we hunt and the people that we work with aren't really that different anatomically. Nope. The surprising similarities, surprising similarities. So what, what I just, just to scare the shit out of people so they don't get shot with the rifle or shoot somebody else with the rifle. Tell me the difference that you see. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right as far as velocity goes to damage wise. And I will just say that it's, it's very easy to see how much difference there is because the rifle round, the rifle injuries rarely make it to me. Right. And so do I see as many? No, I don't. Why? they're pronounced in the field. yeah. So they don't make it to the hospital unless they're extremities, rifle rounds to the torso. um, They they don't make it to the hospital. Most of the time they're generally pronounced in the field. Um, Handguns do. And we see again, again, variety of calibers from 25 all the way up to to 45. As far as handguns go Um, your average things, most of them are, you know, Um, you know, normal ball. We see some, we see some actual, you know, defensive rounds and hollow points and whatnot. Um, But yeah, we see them from all the way from toes to, you know, head, neck, central torso. Mm -hmm. Um, And the rifle rounds are always more destructive. Right. Um, obviously you get into the speed equals fragmentation equals these secondary projectiles that come on out and they start injuring things, right? Handguns tend not to do that unless they hit bone mm-hmm. and then you get secondary fragmentation on those bits of bone and, and jacket fragments and core will go off and do other damage. But many times if they don't hit something solid, solid, excuse me, you get a hole. Yeah. Um, and if, unless that hole hits something very important that causes you to, you know, bleed out quickly. Right. Um, you know, they are generally capable of making it to the hospital, five minutes for EMS to get there, five minutes on scene to us. And we've got time to work on you and generally save you.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that, you know, I always, I always say I've got the, you know, the the three bad habits, one of them being Google. And so I'm always, I'm always Googling, you know, firearms accidents. And I was keeping track on a piece of paper and I, I stopped doing it years ago, but pretty much what I figured out was, If you get shot with a rifle, there's an 80% chance you're going to die. And if you get shot with a handgun, there's an 80% chance you're going to live. And I know that I kept track of those numbers for a while. And that was it roughly. And of course it was just on things that I was reading. I wasn't talking to anybody professionally or actually doing this as like a research project. It was just stuff that I was keeping track of on the things that I would go and and Google and, and look for firearms accidents. And I do that. And I don't recommend anybody doing that. You'll you're going to think that the human race needs a bleaching for sure because we do stupid crap with our guns. But are, are you seeing are those numbers? I mean, would that be, you know, something plus or minus, you know, and like you talk about being hunting or target or you it comes down to
1: a shot placement. And so, obviously, you know, rifle round to the leg, you have a much higher chance of living than rifle round to the torso. Of course, right. um, you know, in tourniquets, with tourniquets in the field, we see more people living from significant, let's say the rifle injuries to the extremities, arm, leg, when we right. see some of the, 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 assault rifle rounds that come in, they are doing much better when they get to us because of the field application of targets, right. you know, you know, 20 years plus now of combat, or excuse me, 10 plus years of combat experience has translated to the civilian world. Right. And that is getting better, man. It, it is making a difference. Um, that being said, yeah. You know, when you, when we get pronounced pronounce them, you know, guys who are taking them torso, anywhere else, rifle rounds, you are very unlikely to make it.
0: Well, I've Um, always said that in my safety meetings. I mean, not always, not every one of them. I try to mix it up, but I think I repeat myself a lot. Uh, Whenever you see Bruce Willis take that AK-47 round to his upper chest, and then he goes and he kills 50 more people, uh, Bruce was actually dead on that one. (laughs) And uh, so, he didn't really make it on there. Well, you bring up an interesting thing that I, I hadn't really, we hadn't really talked about talking about this, but tell me about tourniquets. I mean, you can screw up with one just as easy as you can use one to to be successful with it, am I right?
1: You can. And, and mm-hmm. when I told people uh, similar, you know, um, when I teach, for example, my, my SWAT guys, when I was running warrants from a from a tactical medicine standpoint, and from PD and everybody else, if you are somewhere without immediate medical care, it is not wrong to put a tourniquet on. Like it is, we've learned that it's not, you're not going to kill the limb with any reasonable amount of transport time. Mm -hmm. And so the beautiful thing about a tourniquet is, is that um, it allows you to control bleeding quickly and then have your hands free. So self-application of a tourniquet um, for, for somebody who's on the job, right? I can control bleeding in 30 seconds and now I am still relatively capable of self rescue, I have hands free if I need to post up on a corner, if I need to do those things. So that was a big point of teaching with officer tourniquet training that we were doing for a decade or so. Um, and in the civilian world, we have police officers, you know, placing tourniquets on, and we, we encourage it, we don't want to worry about them having a problem. If you're in a city, and you've got 911, you're going to get to the hospital with an hour, you are not going to damage that extremity by putting a proper placed commercial tourniquet. That is not a thing, okay. and you don't need to release it every five or ten minutes like we were all taught in the Boy Scouts when we were yeah. younger. It's not a thing. Um, long term, hours upon hours. You know, if you're in a very very remote setting, then it, it comes down to that. Um, but if you don't have time and opportunity to do proper bleeding control, which takes some skill and some practice, right. a tourniquet is a wonderful thing. They save lives, and you don't have you're not killing the leg when you put that tourniquet on, as long as you're in a routine, normal, even out here, slightly rural, yeah. you know, you're going to be 30, 45 minute transport to, to the nearest level two trauma center, I guess, in Corpus. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be fine putting a tourniquet on. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do damage. Your bigger thing is, is that, you know, not controlling that bleeding. You're much likely to, more likely could have a bad outcome from not controlling that bleeding. Right. Than you are worried about putting the tourniquet on.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, what about this other stuff that, um, the it control bleeding, the, the quick clot, the type quick products. clot. Yeah. Tell me
1: about those products. Uh, so that's, that's a long discussion uh, or can be anyway. Um, Cliff notes, please. <laughs> quick clot, combat gauze. Yes, absolutely. The one that is gauze. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I had uh, the older products, there's a, there's a bunch of literature and studies. The powders are not ideal. Okay. Um, what makes them not ideal? I mean, we're stopping the bleeding, right? Well, that's the problem, right? So, and I we're kind of, you know, proper bleeding control is direct pressure. Right. So if you have yeah. a hole in the bleeding vessel in the base of that hole, you need to get something down to fill that space down to the bleeding vessel. Right, And something that is actively pouring out, you worked in the oil industry, right? if I have something coming out under pressure and I want to pour something on top of it, I'm not really getting down to getting the seed of the problem. Right. Um, and it also goes into just human behavior. It leads you to not practice other elements of proper bleeding control, pour the magic pix- pixie dust on. Right. And everything's going to be fine. And it often didn't, it mm-hmm. also produces some heat and cause some burns. And there were a number of products <laughs> that way. Um, that one, some made from shells that were harder to work with. Right. The modern product that is quick clot combat gauze that's used um, currently in service. And, and by most EMS agencies um, is a, Gauze, so it still allows you to, to sort of perform proper bleeding control, right. pack the wound, get in there, pressure. And put pressure on it, and then it has an additive to it mm-hmm. that helps your blood clot. Right. So you're getting a twofer. Mm-hmm. You are, you are, it makes you use it the proper way so that even if you didn't believe that that chemical additive worked, right. you still have gauze.
0: You're still putting pressure on Whereas, it. Whereas,
1: right, if you're using the powders and some of the other things, they have some that were um, in a, um, we call them the tea bags, but they were in a little perforated bit where they tried to keep it from going away and still not ideal. Right. Um. And so the ones that have the most data behind it are the current quick clock combat laws. Again, useful. You need to be able to get to the wound. You need to pack a wound, especially if we're talking gunshot wounds. Uh, right. It requires a lot more effort to get it down to where the problem is. Mm-hmm. And that's like, hey, grit your teeth, man. This is going to hurt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, but we don't need to do it in the hospital so much because I have, I have lights, have people, have instruments. We use it less. But in the field, yeah. it's useful to have similar to tourniquets. You know, given time and opportunity, I can fix a lot of things.
0: Right. But well, let me go back to those tourniquets a minute. What would be like your first indication? Okay. That a tourniquet is the proper application for this particular wound. I mean, cause tell me, tell me in your, in your doctor mind, what, what's the answer to that? Yeah,
1: and some of it, it you know, <laughs> what did Lindy say the other day? The answer, the answer to any tr- non-trivial question is always, it depends. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it depends.
0: Yeah. Um, and we hear you and me. On the podcast here too. I <laughs> so mean, you, you and me
1: in this room you know, I'm not going to put a tourniquet on a lot of things that I might, if we were elsewhere yeah. in the dark, I'm having to do two or three things. I'm task loaded. Um, again, officer or somebody who is in a, in a non-permissive environment
0: right? where gotcha. I
1: don't have 10 minutes to sit there and mess with this thing. Right. Um, so I rarely put one on in the ER.
0: Mm-hmm put
1: them on in the field. Absolutely. Really, really frequently, because again, um, anything that you watch active blood significantly flowing out of, mm-hmm. um, anything that comes out in an arc, mm-hmm. yeah. whether it's you spurting or not, there. Yeah. you know, again, high and tight and crank it, they hurt, you know, mm-hmm. like, Hey man, this is going to hurt. If it doesn't hurt, the tourniquet ain't working. Right. Um, it's not on tight enough. Um, and so any, you know, any bleeding that is rapidly flowing, you know, put the tourniquet on, mm-hmm. get it to stop finish what you're doing, get control of some things right. in your environment, figure out, okay, what do I need to do? Is this the only injury? What are we doing? And then you can always dress the wound, pack it, grab you some combat gauze, whatever it is, put a pressure dressing on it. If you're trained, um, we'll get into that in a second. Um, and then you can take the tourniquet down. Yeah. Um, and you know, there some people have whole kind of processes through it out of how you kind of remove a tourniquet, but you know, put it on, put a proper, find out what your wound is. Okay. I can get to this. Mm-hmm. I can get to it. I can see with the thing I can put a proper dressing on. And I'll start taking the tourniquet off. And if it soaks in the dressing, okay, bad idea. Let's not do that again. Tourniquet goes back on and, you know, we're hauling butt. So it's a spigot, (laughs) essentially. Yeah, It, it is. Um, and so again, we tell like our, our, especially our non-trained guys, our PD guys, look, if you see blood and it looks like a lot of blood, put the tourniquet on, right? That's fine. You know, EMS will be there within, you know, 10, 15 minutes. They'll be to us. We can always take the tourniquet off. It's not a death sentence. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd rather them, you know, deal with that than having a potentially life-saving bleeding. And I don't expect a lay person to understand that's a, that's, that's venous blood and that's arterial blood. Right. I don't care. You walk up and go, well, oh, I've never seen that much blood before, mm-hmm. Put the tourniquet on it.
0: Yep. It's fine, but not for a head wound, right? Like around the <laughs> neck. Just want to make sure I've, that I've, I've seen it done. Uh, <laughs> I've seen it done. Um, there's, I had a, lot some students stuff, there's a lot of stuff that you've seen that you and I have spoken about yeah. that is really not yeah. good for public consumption, life,
1: life over limb, but your head is not a limb. Your head uh, is not, a limb. not did, a
0: limb. Did you remember any of those, those, um, the clothing for, made for combat that actually had tourniquets built in? You
1: know, I never got my hands on it. I know you had another personal acquaintance that had developed some of those Correct. and Correct. You know, not a bad idea. Yep. Um, especially if it was in multiple locations, because of course, right. if you know, within a blast environment. Your built-in tourniquet may get damaged by the same thing that caused sure. your leg to get damaged. Right, that yeah. was about the only downside I ever thought about it. Right, um, but the same is true with keeping a tourniquet in one spot. You know, yep. that's why you know my kits. I had three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two on my two on my vest and one on my on my uh, first line gear when I was running warrants, mm-hmm. and then you know six or seven of them in my in my pack. Right, um, because again, especially if you've got a guy big legs, it sometimes it takes two, even proper well-done commercial tourniquets. Um, Oftentimes you got to put two on up around a thigh. If somebody's got muscular thighs, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Uh, Any particular brand or type that you Um, would recommend for somebody to put into their, you know, their normal kit. I, I have no, I have no conflict of
1: interest. I receive no money from any tourniquet company. I'll tell you, um, the the ones that have the most data behind them. So the ones that were tested and had at least published data, that's not, um, not proprietary to a company are the cat, Mm -hmm. the CAT, and then the soft T. Okay. Um, both were tested by, um, the Navy Experimental of Unit on this, the Navy Marine Corps side. Um, and then the army Bureau of medical research, I forget their name, but those both have published studies yeah. where they put them on, they do Doppler studies looking at, do you have arterial flow? And both of those routinely stopped them and okay. they were of an appropriate width. That in addition to that, they didn't cause under significant underlying damage to, to tissue. Okay. And there are newer ones out there that don't have that same testing but have worked well. Yeah. Um my kit, I have the newer generation cats. Uh the old one did have some problems with the buckles and you know, they're mm-hmm. I think on their seventh or eighth generation now. Um yeah. and I have those in my kit and I have the soft T-wide um or what it tends to be in my two kits.
0: Okay. All right, very good. Let's say I'm in real need of a tourniquet and I don't have one. What could be a field expedient? Uh, something.
1: Yeah. It's, it's going to depend on what you have. Cause now you're really behind the, the curve because right. it's always, you know, have one. Yeah. It's easy to say, but you know, have yeah. one. If you're in a place where you think you might be taking damage, I mean you can you can improvise belts, you can do those things. Right. Um the key is high, tight, and you need a windlass. So you're not going to be able to cinch it down with a buckle tight enough. Okay. It, it's not going to work.
0: You need something to crank um, on that. So beam. right.
1: You need something firm that you can crank and then actually then secure. And mm-hmm. you can learn it with some you know, very simple knots and doing it, but there there are a number of semi-well-publicized instance of people, you know, guy takes a, uh, a round in the leg at the range, mm-hmm. has three attempted improvised tourniquets with belts and everything off. And then someone shows up with a proper tourniquet that has it on their, you know, their rig for whatever reason, puts it on and yeah, things work. Problem solved. Um, and we see a number of them because in the traumas are just from the blunt trauma, you know, crush injuries to a leg at a work site, there are three improvised tourniquets on that leg and none of them worked.
0: Right. EMS Blush.
1: got there, cut them off, put a proper one on bleeding solved. Yeah. So believe it or not, they're, there's a little something to it. Right, um, right. You know, the companies wouldn't have put a lot of money into them if it was easy to make a really proper working tourniquet.
0: And compared to the kit that we buy, you know, a tourniquet, it doesn't cost anything to have, you know, one they're, or two with those. No, they're 20 bucks. Yeah. Like yeah. we,
1: our group, what do we think about spending that's less money than you do at the range?
0: Yeah, that's um, that's four rounds of ammo, really. Yeah, <laughs> but I
1: guess, depending on what you're shooting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I would tell, uh, say, my guys, like, yeah, you buy your regular one that's in your kit and buy a trainer. Right. They're, so they're, most of them have a trainer, the cats are blue. Um, and train with it. So yeah. I would tell my officers, like, when you go sh- practice for post or when you go shoot your post walls, you're going to turn a tourniquet practice mm-hmm. and you're going to take your blue one and we're going to run it through and we're going to practice and not the, okay, I, my, I have an arm injury and I'm going to hold my arm out at 90 degrees out here like a T and I'm going to put the tourniquet on easy and then bring it back down. Well, no, you can't do that if you're shot because you took one in the humerus and that's why you're bleeding, but that bone is floppy. You have a second elbow over here. Yeah. So let's practice realistic. Right. Let's get on the ground. Let's get behind cover. Let's put on this tourniquet without being able to lift our arm away from our body. Cause what do we do when we're hurt? We splint it. We put it up against yeah. our body. So let's practice one handed tourniquet application that way. Right. And we're going to practice on a leg and we're going to do it behind cover, you know, get, get a little medical training. Yeah. Um, because, and then practice it, you know, when you go to the range, say, okay, this is, you know, I have a lovely range day. I'll practice support side shooting because, you know, I'm a well-trained and disciplined shooter, but I'm not going to practice first aid skills that I might need if something goes bad on my range trip.
0: Right, for sure.
1: And many, many people don't add that to their bit of firearm education. Right.
0: You don't need it till you need it. Yeah, you don't need it till you need it. When you need it, you need it. That's for sure. And nothing else will do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, what can you like thinking back on, you know, you've you've treated hundreds of these things. Um, oh easily. Probably thousands. Uh, at this uh, point, yeah, twenty years now, yeah. Any one particular case that just kinda stands out to you as being really weird or, you know, something that just didn't follow the rules like everything else followed, you know, concerning GSW?
1: I mean the as soon as you think you've seen it all, they they will humble you. you right. know, I have seen, you know, I saw a young man, we had a, a sort of an outbreak of shootings that we were treating over about an hour and a half, you know, a bunch of shootings came in and then sometimes we get stragglers. So mm-hmm. somebody came in, so, you know, POB just on his own vehicle with a gunshot wound to the back of his thigh, right behind his knee. Okay, And it's the way I work. If you, if you are above the knee and inside the elbow, you get brought back. We're, you know, we're treating you quickly, evaluating you. Cause that's where the probability of injury is. Right. Um, so we get him. Okay. looks in a small hole, everything. And he's walking and talking, get him in, get him undressed, start looking over, making sure we're not missing anything. You know, checking creases, checking armpits, checking groin, where all the bad <laughs> things hide and, um, run my hands over and I feel a bump just up on his trapezius and his right shoulder. Okay. Right above his, uh, right above his shoulder blade back there. Hey man, when I wiggle this, does that hurt? Yeah, don't do that. dot. So he was crawling away under a car trying to get away from the shooting. Mm-hmm. So he is now horizontal and takes a round that entered in the back of his thigh, tracked all the way up, all the way through his musculature and his low back and butt and all the way up and lodged right up almost near the, the base of his shoulder blade in the soft tissue. It, it traveled two and a half feet through skin and muscle, missed his inside organs, missed his chest cavity, missed everything and
0: lodged up there. Wow. Um, what, the, the handgun round? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll take a, like a nine mil FMJ. Wow. Um, you know, we've seen rounds that hit skull and travel around under the skin. Right. Um, you see, I have seen rounds your, your shoulder blade. I've seen bullets go right in, hit it 90 degrees to the shoulder blade and bounce out. So there's a hole, there's a broken bone and we're looking at the chest and nothing there. Do I, okay, your lungs up and there's, where's the bullet? Yeah. Hit shoulder blade, bounce right. Out. Yeah. Um, and then I've seen young kids take. Uh, 177 caliber BB or pellet mm-hmm. right under the xiphoid and have it right into the one of the ventricles of their heart. Wow. Um, had one similar thing. They were playing BB gun wars. Yep. And
0: um, I did and, that growing up. I'm, I oh, I did up, too. I grew up redneck. Yeah.
1: No, we shot a lot <laughs> at each other. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. But don't try that at home, kids. <laughs> um, his friend pumped it up a bunch and shot him in the belly and the EMS crew took a little grief for bringing him to the trauma center for a gunshot wound to the belly. That was a, a BB gun. And he had a BB sitting right next to his aorta. Wow. Like big main pipe right coming out of his heart, sitting right next to it on CAT scan. So, you know, up to the OR he goes. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about it, shot placement. Uh, yep. Yeah. That was, that was almost a lethal BB gun injury. Yeah. Um, again, I've seen them in the heart. I've seen them all sorts of places. Um, I've seen people, you know, nine, you know, nine mil and 45. So we're not going to get into a caliber discussion. You know, four rounds, what would be considered center mass. They, they make it to us. They're alive. Yeah. Um, both lungs are coming down, but you know, put a tube in. Right, the lungs back up, and they're they're not feeling it. No, they're not having a good day. No, but, um, so you know, I used to tell our uh, our SWAT guys when I was like, "Look, again, if handguns were really good at any gunfights, we wouldn't be as busy as we are."
0: Right. No, you're saying that. <laughs> you're saying you're not uh, rifles are the way to go because they're never going to give you any any business. <laughs> well, let's see again. Not wishing for violence, but however. <laughs> Well, I, I think that's kind of interesting how you say that um, most of the, you don't treat a whole lot of rifle wounds because they're pronounced in the field. They, mean, yeah. That, they don't make it as does. well. Um, I think that's, that's kind of, you know, I, I know that everything we're talking about is very interesting here, but just if there's a way that if something take away from this particular podcast, cause this is what we do, you know, this is what we do out here. We train for rifle. Uh, we, we work with a lot of different groups. We do competitions out here. We do training and uh, you know, I've always, you know, people might I'm, I'm Jacob Bynum of rifles only. Okay. And I'll tell you something, I am terrified of guns. I'm terrified of them. You know, I have a, a huge, huge, healthy respect for them. And, uh, you know, terrified is the wrong word, but I think you're kind of getting my point, you know, and. and talking to doc here, you're letting me know the, that's well-founded, well-founded fear is oh, what I'm hearing from you.
1: Right. You know, and, and it's the thing, if we're around him and you've said this, you know, millions and millions of times that familiarity breeds contempt. It does. And so the more we're trained in this, right. We, we start to get easy with it. And you know, you use the, the, the knife example, you know, right. who, who, who here has cut themselves with their knife, you know, before who here has done it more than once. Yep. Okay. You know, you didn't learn your lesson, did you? Well, you don't often have that opportunity with a firearm. True. And true. sometimes people get lucky and, you know, we see our fair share of, you know, gunshots through the hand and through the calf and through the foot, um, that are self-inflicted, but sometimes they're not, you know, sometimes yeah. they're not, or they're obviously the, obviously the violent ones, but they, you know, they can be significant. And if you don't have respect for it, it's going to bite you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is going to bite you. And again, have a little training, have a little understanding, um, which is again, something I just you know, alluded to earlier. Again, you run a training facility, you have people lined up to come down here and shoot, and I'm curious as to how many of those people have taken a medical class.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: A one day class of like, hey, listen, this is how you pack a wound. This is how you dress it. This is how you use your fancy fat kit. Assuming you've got a blowout kit, let's say. For sure. Um, but again, you know, just like somebody wouldn't buy a handgun and consider themselves able to defend themselves, um, you can't buy a, a medical lot of people kit. Do and assume a lot of that people you know how? Do. A oh, lot sure. of People do, and,
0: I mean, and they 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 equate you know uh, possession with competence. And mm-hmm. Clint Smith was the first one who told me about that. You know, a lot of people think, okay, I have a gun, so I know how to use it. It's um, and there's so many things like what you're saying, just about the med kit. And I know we've done we've done medical training out here for government agencies and and you know other groups that you know are basically sponsored from you know from paid by Uncle Sam. But uh, at any rate, you're absolutely right. And where would one find a course in this? I mean, is there a, is there a, you know, just in, in your professional opinion, is there a particular school or particular program that someone could go just to get a little bit of, you know, a little bit of, you know, basically to be able to, get that person to you at the hospital? Sure.
1: That's a good question. Cause I don't, I don't have a specific one in mind. Sadly, the first one, and it sounds like I can't answer, but your first one is CPR start there. Yeah. Right. Because you're much more likely to use that on a yep. daily basis than you are to put a tourniquet on. Right. Right. Because Understood. that can be your wife, your mom, your daughter, your son, a stranger to restaurant, somebody you like, you start there and get that feel and get used to putting hands on people. And then after that, you can go look, you know, the, there are a number of places that teach a civilian version of TCCC, so okay. you know, tactical combat casualty course, mm-hmm. um, that again works off of kind of the non-permissive environment to some degree. So some of the skills they teach aren't applicable, right? But and some of the things they teach can only be done by either military personnel who sort of have a waiver, or right. people who have a civilian license. So you're not going right. to be darting people's chests for new authorities, but that's okay. Right. You don't need to because yeah. they don't happen that fast and that often, but learning basic bleeding control, there's a program, um, called stop the bleed. Mm -hmm. And so it's put on by the American college of surgeons, which is the the group that we work with the certified trauma centers. Um, and it's a half day, basically a half day course that teaches tourniquet application, direct pressure, um and if there's real big push stop after, the, bleed. Yeah, the, stop the bleed. Stop the bleed. It, yeah, the, careful the name will give it away. Yeah. Um but it's a good start and there are stop the bleed instructors, all of them. You can you can get online and just search stop the bleed and look. And it's again teaches proper tourniquet application kind of assessment, how those things are. Um we're all instructors for it. Right. And it's a good initial sort of dip your feet in to start. And then, yeah, get down with somebody, if you know, find somebody to look and see, okay, and again, where do I live? What situations are? And then you can work on, okay, what what equipment do I need to have? Right. Um, because you don't need an enormous kit if you have an EMS response time of two or three minutes. Right. You don't need nasopharyngeal airways and, and crazy wonderful things that some guy who's in Afghanistan needs. Right. Um, you need to, again, it's a, it's a threat analysis. Right. It's, it's a gap analysis like we do for anything else. So figure out what your what is most likely to happen to you, what do you have to deal with it, and then fill in the
0: gaps. For sure.
1: But I would start with, yeah, CPR and stop the bleed. Are probably okay. the two easiest ones to get into and get get your feet wet.
0: Awesome, awesome. That's a good answer. Why well, right, bro. I told you I wasn't gonna like have you on here too very long. Look, man, I'm all yours. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else I'm gonna do. Well, I appreciate it. And well, again, uh, Dr. Sean Hardy uh, works over in New Orleans, sees a lot of stuff. Thank you so much for being with us, um, guys. Get on that uh, rifles only website. Check out the uh, events that we have coming up. We got several training uh, things coming up in New Hampshire, Colorado, Minnesota, Michigan right down here at rifles only uh, get on the website have a look at that as always if you have any questions or if you have any questions for sean you can reach out to us at roap at rifles com. rifles only accuracy podcast at rifles com. that's the exclusive email associated with our podcast and if you can come up with questions for him things that he's seen whatever i'll have your email and i can forward that email right over to you and i can tell you for sure that this guy will respond he loves talking <laughs> about this kind of stuff he's been doing it with me for a long time and again uh, i appreciate you coming down i appreciate you bringing your son most of all i appreciate your friendship sir oh, thanks for having us jake it's right, pleasure well, as always all right i'm gonna get some rock music on here and we'll close this sucker out but again thank you sean i really appreciate you being here